Hey there, and welcome to another edition of Inside Intercom. We're big believers that shipping product is just the beginning of a longer process. Once it's in the hands of real users is when the real learning begins. How are people using the product or new feature? What story do these insights tell us about iteration or whole new products down the line? At the heart of this analysis here at Intercom is our product analytics team. And to get a better feel for how they operate and how they think, Inside Intercom editor Jeffrey Keating sat down with the team's lead, Senior Manager of Analytics, Karen Church. Karen came to Intercom from Yahoo in January 2016 with the goal of creating a cross-functional team of data analysts, data scientists, and data engineers who can help us generate insights that will inform the design, development, and measurement of Intercom products. Karen's also the founder of XX Plus Data, a community for women who work with and love data. In her chat with Jeffrey, she opens up about the metrics that matter most to her team. We're trying to think more holistically about like customer success because like engagement is just one piece but what we really really care about is like are we helping our customers go on to be as successful as they can be the role of storytelling in any data-driven job the insights that we surface are really only as good as the story that we do tell and any insights that end up like not acted upon not actioned not used like they're kind of worthless and how analytics teams can better integrate with their own product teams we attend the stand-ups for the product teams that we support so that one small change completely changed the dynamic because the analysts then had absolute context for the various decisions and activities that were happening within the product teams. If you like what you hear and want to check out more Inside Intercom interviews, you can subscribe to our show over at iTunes or your favorite podcast network. While you're there, of course, we'd be forever grateful if you shot us a rating or a review. It really helps new folks find the show. And now let's hand things over to Jeffrey, who's in the studio with Karen Church. You're listening to Inside Intercom. Intercom, making internet business personal at scale. Learn more at intercom.com. Karen, thanks so much for joining us. To get us started, could you give us a feel for your career pre-Intercom and what drew you to analytics? So my background is computer science. I did an undergrad in ITB here in Dublin where I fell in love with programming and then I loved it so much I decided to keep going. So I went and I did a PhD in University College Dublin. And the focus of that was really trying to like understand and explore how people searched and browsed the web from their phones back in like 2004, 2005, so pre-iPhone. And then I knew I didn't want to stay in academia. So after PhD, I decided to move into like industrial research labs where the focus is really on innovation, which I found really exciting. So I moved to Barcelona. I spent five years in Telefonica research And that was exploring future mobile information access trends and behaviours. So things like mobile messaging and mobile search, mobile app recommendations, human-computer interaction. Uh, I loved that. And then an opportunity came up to move to the Bay Area. So I went and I led a team of scientists in Yahoo Labs. Um, And that was just prior to Intercom. and, And that team was focused on native and mobile ad analytics. So we would have explored patterns and behaviours in various mobile data sets to try and improve advertising experiences, which sounds like the dark side. But it, uh, it was it was good. It was really, really interesting. I had a great team there. And then about 18 months ago, I joined Intercom to lead the product analytics team. And then on the data piece, I think it's that I'm fascinated, maybe borderline obsessed with people and how they behave and how they interact with technology. And for me, data enables me to investigate and explore that and understand that. So and it's real behaviour. I find that really interesting. I'm also very nosy as a person, so that probably <laughs> that probably helps a little bit too. I think that's a good trait to have. So you're obviously a, an early adopter to mobile. Must be crazy looking back. 
Oh my God, yeah. I still have some of my old phones as well. One of my earlier, like Nokia, one of my very first like WAP enabled devices. Do people remember WAP like the, uh, back in the day? But yeah, I think before iPhone happened, some of us sense like something great is going to happen here. And uh, that's why I focused my PhD all around mobile. Actually, until I got to Intercom, most of my research was focused on mobile. Good stuff. Uh, so how would you describe the mission and the makeup of the product analytics team at Intercom? We are a growing team of uh, data scientists, product analysts and data engineers. And our mission is to help Intercom make more informed, effective decisions using data. And we partner in particular with the product teams. And I think generally there's two groups. There's the data engineering side where the focus there is really on designing and building and scaling our infrastructure and our pipelines and our data sets so that we can ultimately like democratize data across the company and enable anyone even beyond the analytics team to kind of access data to make decisions. And then on the analytics and data science side, it's about like analyzing and exploring and mining patterns and behaviors and trends and surfacing those patterns in a really meaningful way that either guide a key decision or direction, or they could also like inform, inform a new product. And when you arrived at Intercom, was there many analysts before you? So there was the very first product analyst, Kevin McNally. He's now a senior data scientist on the team. He's here almost three years. So he was here. He was like the lone product analyst on the team. And then they hired me to lead the team and Nick Odlem, who was our like second analyst. And now there are seven of us. So we have two on the data engineering side and four on the kind of analytics and data science side. And then we also have a couple of engineers at the moment, amazing engineers at the moment, doing tours with us, which is really cool. So some folks across R&D and Intercom are really excited by data. So they're coming to actually spend some time to work with us too. So that's been cool. We have two at the moment, which is great. When does a startup need to bring a product analytics team into the picture? For you, is there is there like a certain point in the company's life that signals, you know, it's time to start building a team? I would bias towards earlier is better. And I would actually say that even before thinking about the analytics piece, I think the the data piece is much more important. So like the underlying data infrastructure, the pipelines, that engineering piece, I think an analytics team is only effective if they can actually access and analyze data to kind of surface really compelling insights. You need the underlying data stores and infrastructure to be operational and uh, efficient in order to do that. And I think we've talked about this a lot as a team. I think we were a little late to the game there and we're investing really heavily in it now. And we have been for the last, you know, 18 months or so, but um, even longer maybe. But I think I would hire on the data side first, on the data engineering and infrastructure side first. And in often cases, like the first person of this kind in any startup will probably have a mix of like data engineering and data wrangling and data analysis and and that's good. So maybe maybe you can find someone who is passionate about the underlying data stores as well as like analysing and surfacing compelling insights from that. So I would say hire a good data person first and, and then you can think about how to kind of scale that team. In terms of like product analytics as a function, I think, you know, as long as you're, you know, building a product that's being launched to market, I would argue that you should be making sure that that product is tracked correctly Um that you have some way of gaining insights into how people are actually using it once you launch. And then you can use those insights to iterate on that product or inform a new one. But yeah, I would bias towards early. And maybe you'd probably speak to like, what are the challenges of retrospectively trying to add a product analytics team a couple of years down the line of a company's life? Yeah, I think, ooh, that's an interesting question. I think, um, I think it's just, it's not necessarily in 
the DNA or makeup automatically. Does that make sense? So like if your startup is founded and led with a you know more design direction or a more qualitative like user experience research direction, you know, it's kind of in the DNA. It's there. People understand that they get it. I think when analytics is brought in a little late, it just means that um, it's perhaps a little less understood and there needs to be a little more work in terms of helping people understand and pivoting that culture a little bit and you know, building the reputation of that team. But we've done, we've done, I think, some some great work over the last year and a half to help there. And, and now I would say that lots and lots of teams across Intercom are uh, pretty data savvy and they're they're pinging us left, right and centre to kind of work with us and help them even beyond product, which is which is a great testament to some of the things we've been doing. So Cool. So it's kind of like a, a culture shift and an organisational problem as well. Yeah, I think the, the culture shift definitely. I came from very, very, very data-driven companies. You know, like... Uh, many of Yahoo's products were built using data, very, very, you know, data-driven, data-informed products. And um, when I moved into Com, it was it was quite different. Like, we, we think very differently, you know. Um, we care greatly about offering a really personal experience to our customers. And I think data just didn't come, wasn't, wasn't the kind of initial light bulb kind of moment for that. I think now more and more we're seeing that you can absolutely build amazing personal customer experiences while using some data to kind of one help you gain insights into how those things are being used but also to help guide some maybe more smarter automation um, within those products too. So what are the key product success metrics that Intercom use today and why have we chosen them specifically? Yeah I would say that we we kind of approach this at least in my experience, a little bit differently than other companies. So we would have used Google have this heart framework that helps you think about your, you know, user's experience of a product and the metrics that will matter most to measuring the kind of success of that product. It was actually created by Kerry Rodden. She was a really senior UX uh, researcher in Google. And we partnered really closely with our product teams to really try to understand what they were building and why they were building it and, and what kind of problems that that product or feature was trying to solve. And the result is kind of three metrics that we would talk and think about a lot in Intercom. The first is around intent to use. So this is, you know, the action or set of actions that show that your customers are deliberately intending to use this feature or this product. And this is kind of important because not all features you built are meant for your entire customer base. You might actually build a set of features that are meant for a subset of your customers. The second one is around activation. So this is about the kind of point in time when a customer first realizes the value of a product. So again, it's the action or set of actions that indicate that realization of the of value for the first time. And this is really important because if your customers do not realize the value of your product, they are never going to go on to be fully engaged, happy, successful customers who keep returning for more and more of that experience. And that's what you want. And then the third one is around engagement. It's this kind of stickiness piece. So like measurement of the continuing return of your customers, you know, day to day, week on week, where they're kind of continuing to realize the value of your product. So this is like, how often are they using features, the time at which they're using those features. Um, So overall kind of stickiness of your products and features. So those are the three. We're also doing a lot of work around, we're trying to think more holistically about like customer success, because like engagement is just one piece. But what we really, really care about is like, are we helping our customers go on to be as successful as, as you know, they can be? So we're doing some work around that at the moment. Nothing super concrete that I can share yet, but watch this space. So, Karen, in many ways, for your team's work to be success, you really need your product teams to ultimately use the data you're providing them to inform and, and guide their decisions. 
And what role does storytelling play in your team's work? I think it plays a, a huge role. And actually, we talk about this a lot as a team of like carving out probably, you know, 40, 50 percent of our time just crafting the stories that we're going to tell around the insights that we're surfacing. I think anyone who's who, whose background is like analytics or data science has been there where they've, you know, produced what they think is a great piece of work, where they're going to surface a really exciting insight and they share some report or a deck or chart and it lands like flat on its face. And I think that the the key here is that like the insights that we surface are really only as good as the story that we, that we tell. And, and, and any insights that end up like not acted upon, not actioned, not used, like they're kind of worthless, you know. So we spend a lot of time focused on, on how we can craft and tell good stories. And we do this in a number of ways. We have like regular feedback sessions a couple of times a week as a team where we actually share insights that might be in flight or like a deck or a report that's further along. It might actually even be a method or analysis that's that's happening. And the whole team provides feedback both on like the approach as well as the story and the delivery of, of the insights. We use Slack a ton, so we share informally and provide feedback on Slack too. And then we try and give like demos to the to the whole company and presentations to the whole company. And we would always dry run some of those too to make sure that the whole team has had a chance to provide feedback on, on the story or narrative that's being shared. So huge, huge, huge part. It's actually, I think, one of the kind of underrepresented skills that, that I think a, a great, you know, data analyst or data scientist needs. I'm thinking back to your days in university. Was that something that was was taught? <laughs> um, I, I was really lucky. My PhD advisor is an amazing data storyteller. He really is. And he really worked with me as he did with all of his students to help me shape a narrative when we would have published like academic papers. So he definitely would have helped. And when you published a paper that you would then present at an academic conference where you'd have to stand up and, and tell everyone about your piece of work. So he definitely would have like worked with us on those things. But I don't know. I, I think it's um it's something that you should continually in, improve. Like I think I have plenty to kind of learn and improve from. I remember when in Telefonica they took us on this like two day course where they got this wonderful guy to come in uh, he actually used to be involved in the Gaiety Theatre and he came in and did like this two-day intensive workshop on like storytelling and presenting and it's like life-changing. Like it really, really was, you know, recording us. We had to kind of like ad-lib a lot and then we'd, we'd take a piece of work that we actually crafted a story and, and shared with the team and that, that really, I think, levelled up even how I was kind of presenting and articulating some of my own insights. And then I think the more you kind of evolve and mature in your role, the way in which you you tell stories, the visualizations that you use, they all mature and evolve with you. So, like, I actually gave a talk recently, and I was, I was including some work I did as part of my PhD, and I looked at my thesis, and I was like, oh my god, that is terrible! I cannot believe that was like the quality of the work. You know, I was presenting some really interesting insights, but they were in this like black and white table. There wasn't any visuals whatsoever, and and I created this. I think pretty cool visualization now. So I think it's just amazing that like you evolve, technologies evolve. So, but yeah, storytelling and nice visuals. I think um, you know people can interpret a lot through visuals. So I think like that visual component of storytelling is is really important too. And I totally agree. If you don't look back at some of your early work oh. and you're not embarrassed, then uh, <laughs> yeah, I think something's wrong. Yeah. Just before we continue with today's episode, I wanted to let you know about Offscript. It's a new series of candid conversations with intercom leadership all about the extraordinary AI-driven transformation we're currently experiencing. Episode one is on our YouTube channel right now. Here's a teaser of what you can expect. I don't want to come across as overly dramatic, but 
For every single tech company, this is an adapt or die moment. It's inevitable that all businesses are going to go AI first. It's just a matter of time. In this post-AI world, new companies will rise, old companies will fall. Of course, some of these new companies will flame out. Some old companies will pivot successfully too. I don't think any of us could see a world where this wasn't going to be one of the biggest changes in the customer service landscape ever. The world we care about is customer service, and it's so patently obvious that the old way will be quickly obsolete. We're racing hard to build a future which will result in better experiences and results for customers and businesses too. It's not just a product change, it's a mindset change. Let's make space to talk about all of this. We have so much we want to share. We want to explore these ideas in the open. We want to provoke new ones in you. We want to learn from your reaction. You just click the kind of like big stupid go button, right? And see what happens. Welcome to Offscript. That's all to come on Offscript. The first episode is out now. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. So what's the one piece of advice you'd give to, you know, a PM or a designer or an engineer to make sure that they're getting the most out of their startups data? I would say, so if there's an analytics team there, go and talk to them. Like we use Slack a lot within Intercom. We set up a Slack channel, Ask Product Analytics, where we invite the whole company, not just folks in in product to kind of come and ask us any data related questions. And that has been really, really successful. So if, if you have an analytics team, like go knock on the doors. If there isn't a Slack channel or an email or some website where you can go and interact, then I would say find those people and, and just go and talk to them about like your specific area, the questions that you you would like to answer. Even just a general thing of like, you know, what are the types of things I can I can do with information? How could we partner and collaborate more? I guarantee that if there's an analytics team there, they'll be crying out to partner more with designers and researchers and PMs. If there isn't, then I think there's plenty of ways to kind of go and dig yourself. And I would actually encourage like PMs and designers and researchers to go and dig yourself. And and a lot of our folks here do that, you know. They go and they uh, work with, you know, actionable dashboards. They run queries of their own. Our entire like engineering org went and did SQL training recently. I think there are ways to kind of go and find and query data yourself so you can surface insights. So, but first port of call, I think, is finding the folks that work with the data and and just talk to them. When companies start to build out their analytics team, they tend to organize themselves in either a centralized or an embedded model. And you've tried to follow a more hybrid approach at Intercom, if that's right. So could you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So we we have a single product analytics team and we all sit together on one pod and we do work together a lot. But we embed kind of as as needed. And one of the smallest things we did was we actually, we attend the stand-ups for the product teams that we support so that one small change completely changed the dynamic because the analysts then had absolute context for the various decisions and activities that were happening within the product teams. And likewise, the product teams had way more context into the the daily focus and, and work of the analyst in question. Before, we we didn't really partner at that level. So we didn't attend stand-ups. We didn't attend their weekly planning meetings. There wasn't really any regular like metrics reviews. So it, 
initialising some of those key meetings like stand-ups, attending weekly plannings, um, having more regular metrics review sessions or sessions where we like explicitly are reviewing insights. Those small tweaks have really helped. Um, and I know I've mentioned Slack like 10 times today, but the other thing is often cases, the product teams will have, you know, Slack channels for maybe individual features or intermissions that they're working on. And the analysts will often be part of those channels. And again, it's it's about like, daily and iterative sharing of like insights and context and all those things have really helped build much stronger partnerships. And we really need that in order to make sure that we're actioning on on the insights that are being surfaced. And so I've always loved your idea of data democratization that you've written about, you know, in a couple of blog posts so far. And in a nutshell, that's, you know, making sure everyone can access and understand the data that you guys are working on. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that's been particularly successful for you in doing that? There are a few things I can think of. A few months ago, and I actually think we wrote about this on the blog, we were really trying to improve how we like instrument our products. And this involved a lot of partnering with great engineers in Intercom to help like track the events that we we know are important and would tell us how people are actually using these features. But there wasn't really a common language, shared like understanding of what we should be tracking and what we should call these things. And it was all a bit inconsistent and probably a little bit dynamic and and it meant that not only was tracking hard but also like the resulting analysis that happened was like really difficult. So we generated like a new naming convention for events. We've been partnering with great engineers here on more automated tracking and that has just led to like shared understanding, common language. Um, It means our products are much better instrumented and then the resulting analysis is just way easier to to kind of conduct. So that has absolutely helped. We've been trying, we need to do more of this, but we've been trying some tutorials for some of our tooling. So um, we've been using Looker as our core like BI tool. So we ran some tutorials last summer to help other people in the company like understand how to use and access Looker and various dashboards. Please sign me up for that. Yeah, well, do you know, we're actually, we need and want to do more of these things. So um, we absolutely want to invest a bit more in the next kind of six months in just educating folks a bit more because we get an awful lot of questions from people on like, hey, I'd love to answer this question. And and they want to be able to do that themselves and, and we should be empowering more people. So I think definitely a bit more on the education piece. And there are lots of great companies who we look towards who are inspiration on this vein. Airbnb is one of them. They have an amazing like data school. So it'd be really cool to have something like that here in Intercom. And then a few months ago, we introduced an initiative called Chart of the Week. It was led by Flora Devlin, who's a senior analyst on the team. And this is where every Friday we share one single chart with like a caption that kind of is uh, hopefully compelling with the whole company on Slack. And uh, the idea here is to try and spark curiosity um, around some of the insights that we're surfacing and and hopefully get some questions about it and to spark general discussions among teams. And it's been great. There's been some great reactions both in Slack, but also from offline conversations with people. And we've done it every week since the end of March. And we have like a singular page where people can kind of go and see previous charts. So so that's been great. Talk me through this, the, the data school. That's for any employee to attend, is it? Yeah. And like if we think about Intercom and how we onboard people, you know, we have our own version of like a, an interschool where we teach new hires about, you know, various aspects of our business, our history, our mission, our vision, our products, you know, the way in which we work, the way we think. You know, I would love us to have a data portion of that, you know, and maybe it's a session or maybe it's a half day or where we actually like direct people to like the various analytics teams that they can work with. We set them up with various tools and accounts. 
we point them in the direction of like some tutorials or maybe give some hands-on tutorials to just let people know that there is a wealth of data here that will enable you to do your job more e- efficiently. And here is how you can access and consume it in a way that's, yeah, that will help you in the long run. So watch this space. <laughs> well, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. uh, so one thing that's talked about at a lot of startups is this idea of being data informed over data driven. So how does your team strike that balance between getting you know the most out of the data available to you, but appreciating that data might not always give you the, the full picture? That's a great question. It's definitely a balance. I, I actually love the phrase evidence based uh, rather than even those two. Like we know, even as like analysts and data scientists, that data is just one piece uh, or quantitative data is just one piece of the picture. Uh, We try and partner really closely with our qualitative um, research team here. And um, what's great is analysts and researchers are partnering um, at the beginning of projects and they're asking questions like, what do we want to learn here and which method is, is the best at learning and not, it's not a case of like data versus research. It's a case of is one method better in this instance? And, and in most cases, it's actually both. Both methods are, are really good and provide a much more holistic picture of our, our user's experience. So I think it's about a balance. I think we definitely try and partner with research because I'm a big believer in combining qualitative and quantitative insights. And it definitely gives us a much more rounded picture. And I think as well, even when we're moving more towards advanced analytics, so like predictive analytics or applied machine learning, where we're actually trying to inform and drive some of what we're building using data, we still need to, we always ask our quest, the question, which is like, does this problem require us like throwing machine learning at it? Or is there a simpler solution or something that will actually solve our customers' problems without this? And I think as long as we keep asking those things, we'll be in a good place. Are User testing sessions ever something that you, your team sit in on? Yeah, actually, like uh, pretty regularly. Yeah, there's some, been some great sessions this week. And, and likewise, like the researchers are always, always eager to use data in their research and combining a little bit more of the quantitative piece with some of the qualitative work that they're doing. So it happens both ways. But and sitting in on some of those sessions is really eye opening. So if there's, you know, analysts or data scientists out there who've never done that, I think it's it's a really great experience for everyone. But yeah, yeah we, do, we do that all the time. I think people see them as maybe competing forces sometime, but they're absolutely complementary. Absolutely complementary. And again, it's really like, what do you want to learn? And which method will enable you to learn? Um, and in, in often cases, honestly, it's both. And sometimes time, you know, uh, pressure. You know, there's, there's a lot of forces that you have to factor in. Sometimes timing-wise, it means one or the other. Sometimes you may not actually have the data to be able to answer that question. So yeah, they're not competing complimentary yin, yin and yang is that the word <laughs> I, think that, I think that's the phrase yeah <laughs> uh, cool so finally um, you got a great reaction to your recent talk at InspireFest and to summarise it very crudely your thesis was that data is fundamentally about people and behaviours could you just give us a little uh, oversight of that yeah, so I was invited to give a talk at, at InspireFest and the general theme was artificial intelligence and, and real world data. And I thought it would be interesting, like reflecting on my career, I thought it would be interesting to try and pull out concrete examples of like analysis and data explorations that I conducted to try and craft a message, which is that, you know, data is fundamentally about people and their behaviours. So I, I I started all the way back in PhD and I described a study and an analysis I did with the European mobile operator where it was basically 300 million like URLs and 6 million search queries all generated by 
millions of European mobile users all the way back in 2005. So this is like, or 2006, pre-iPhone. And I was able to look at like the topics that they searched for in, in search engines like Google. And we found that there was an awful lot of adult related content back then. I can imagine. <laughs> um, so there was kind of that story. And then there was one around when I moved to Telefonica, there was uh, an analysis I conducted. This was actually a mixed method, combining qualitative and quantitative. I worked with colleagues there to try and understand more about smartphone notifications. So like all of these apps like WhatsApp and Facebook, they proactively push these notifications towards us to make sure that we don't miss out on key messages and events. And we were really intrigued at like, well, how many do people actually have to deal with? And and more interesting, like, how do they handle them and, and what's the effect of notifications on them? So we built this logging app that we installed on their phone. It sounds a bit creepy, but we did get consent. And uh, it tracked all of the notifications that they received and the apps that generated those notifications. And we were also able to tell things like the ringer mode. So whether the phone was on silent mode or vibrate mode and enabled us to, to not only look at like how many notifications people received but things like you know it took 3.5 minutes on the weekends for people to react to notifications from WhatsApp which is like super fast and and that having the phone in silent mode had no effect on response times so like what it means is that people have their phone in silent mode a lot and yet they check their phone every two minutes just in case they receive a message I could vouch for that yeah I do that too I have my phone permanently in silent mode and then I'm constantly checking it and then the last kind of story was around, it's actually recent work from Intercom. We did a really cool analysis um, looking at emoji use in business messaging. Really fun, where we compared, um, we had a data set of 1 million conversations in, over the summer in 2015 and a million over the summer in 2016. And we actually kind of looked at emoji trends. So we showed that like emoji usage has increased like four times over in that one year. We were able to look at like top emojis, but more interestingly, we looked a little bit at mirroring. So do businesses mirror the the type of emojis that their customers use? Um, and the answer is no, not really. And they probably should. But, you know, uh, customers or consumers, end users, people like you and I, they were using highly personal like emotive emojis. It was all faces and hearts and, and gestures. There was no objects or like business based emojis. So just some really nice insights about how people try and augment our online experiences with all these new features like emojis and gifts to try and mimic some of what we have in our real lives our uh, physical lives. So it was uh, really cool, pretty well received. And it was nice to be able to kind of go back and reflect on some of the earlier pieces of of work that I did and to pull out that horrible looking table and then try and build a beautiful visualisation around it. So, lots, yeah. of, lots of reflection. Uh, it sounds like you're kind of ending your career. <laughs> <laughs> it does, yeah, it's a little bit more. Karen's not going anywhere, don't worry. Cool. Well, Karen, thank you so much for, for joining us. It's been a blast. Thanks, Minion. Thank you. This was fun. We'll have to do it again sometime. Cheers. Thanks. You've been listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. For more episodes, visit soundcloud.com slash intercom. If you'd like to subscribe, search for Inside Intercom in iTunes or Stitcher. And for even more great content, check out blog.intercom.com. Listener.